Well, thanks very much, Paul, and welcome to our outside broadcasts here in Sainfield. I'm delighted to be joined in Sainfield, but in a separate house, actually in a separate studio, uh, by Karen Fulton. So I'm going to join in with Karen now. Hi, Karen. Can you hear me there okay? Yeah. Hi, Ali. Uh, welcome. I'm so glad you could join us. Uh, Karen, all well with you at your side of the town? Yes, indeed. All fine. Uh, well, Karen, before you, you speak to us, we thought it'd be useful to have a, a kind of Q&A session with you, if that's okay. Um, so I'm going to ask you a few questions and uh, probably quite a number of people uh, from the church already know you, um, but uh, there will be some who maybe don't know you, don't know your face. So tell us a little bit about yourself, like what you do for a living, any family and so forth. Uh, yeah, I teach at Belfast Bible College. I'm one of the lecturers there, and I'm also the director of education for the college. I live in Saintfield, as you said. Uh, I grew up in Saintfield, but I've been in various other places uh, throughout my time. And in terms of family, I'm an only child, and uh, my parents are both dead, so I don't have close family and stuff, although there's a, a wider family circle. Okay, thank you. Um, well, so you're part of Grace Fellowship. Tell us a little bit about that. How are you connecting with uh, Grace Fellowship and, and how long have you been part of Grace Fellowship? I've been in the church, I would say, for about a year and a half, although I have visited a little bit the year before that. In terms of connection to the church, I'm, I'm part of the St. Field House Group, which is great. And I also take a bit of a turn in the Tame Coffee Road, as so some people may have seen me there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that, uh, that, that, that may be a slightly changed for you in recent days uh, in terms of the Tame Coffee part. But uh, have you met as part of your house group in recent days? Yes, the house group's been meeting through Zoom. So that's been an interesting experience to, to do that. And that's been really good to see people. I think if you're living alone and um, you're working remotely, it's really quite nice to have touch-ins with people where you actually see them and have a chance to talk in a group. Great, great. Well, um, so your, your, your director, I'm going to move back into to, to your, your job role at the moment. Your director of uh, education in Belfast Bible College, as uh, Paul has explained earlier. Tell us a wee bit about what that involves. There would be three aspects, I would say, to my job. Um, first would be the lecturing side. So I'd lecture New Testament. And that um, I lecture across all the college programs. So that would go right through from postgraduate work to our college courses, which is evenings and a, a woman's study group. Alongside that, I look after the education for the college. So across all those different platforms, there would be different members of my team who have different responsibilities, but I kind of oversee that. And I'm also part of the um, management team for the college, which would be looking at broader issues for the college as a whole. Okay, well, you've mentioned to us that, you, that part of your, your job involves uh, teaching uh, and students. Are there any uh, students you either that we might know that you've had in your classes or any current students, perhaps? 
Well, I'm kind of looking at a former student called Ali Brown at the moment. <laughs> um, and currently I would be teaching uh, Josh, who is part of my great class. So you can get the lowdown from him on what that's like at some point. Uh, probably better not to ask you live about any comments and not, not even going to ask you for any comment on even that question. But uh, just to say, uh, yes, I remember. Uh, I remember well uh, being in your class, Karen. And uh, so it's, it's very, very good to uh, renew acquaintances. I'm looking forward to being in your class uh, later on uh, this morning. So um, let's wind back a few years. You are a Christian. Tell us a little bit about how that came about, when you became a Christian and so forth. I grew up in a Christian family and I would always have been aware of the gospel and the teaching around that and also aware really that it wasn't personal to me. The point at which that kind of became personal would have been around 12, 13 and at that stage the church that I was involved in in St. Field launched a youth group really there hadn't been anything for a while so that got set up and started and really as a result of various things that happened in that I came to faith the deciding moment in that or kind of the key moment was actually the testimony of a footballer which is really quite ironic because I've absolutely no interest in football and I never watch it but it is obviously someone in it has obviously played a, a key point in my life. So that was just someone who came and talked about their own experience. And that was kind of a trigger for me to make that step for myself. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, you're, you're now, uh, unfortunately, we don't have uh, an abundance of time. It would be good to spend all morning. Uh, maybe you wouldn't find it good, but uh, it'd be fascinating to find a lot more. But we've got to uh, rush through quite a few questions here. Uh, you're involved in theology. You're, you're immersed in theology now in, in the Belfast Bible College. Is that what you always wanted to do when you were at school? Uh, absolutely not, I would say. If you, depending at what point you want to cut in, I think my earliest kind of ambition would have been to be an archaeologist. So I've kind of, I've always had a fascination with the past. So that would have been my first kind of thing. And um, probably at the point when I came to faith, I started to think of the possibility of working in that kind of an area. And if you were looking at... Um, when I was at university and when I was thinking of maybe going overseas initially, probably it would have been Bible translation as such. I would have been thinking about rather than the kind of teaching role that I have at the moment. Uh, okay, so you, you, you were kind of uh, an aspiring Indiana Jones, as it were, uh, and uh, <laughs> then went off to uh, uh, look, at, look at other things. Now, you, you did say to me... Uh, 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 when we were talking earlier, uh, you were involved in some form of computing uh, after you left school. How, how did that come about and how long were you involved in that? Yeah, when I left um, university, I was thinking of possibly uh, working overseas in, in some kind of mission work. But at the time, the advice on that was to get what people called an ordinary job for a number of years. 
So I was looking for an ordinary job that didn't involve doing lots of training. A lot of my friends went off and did accountancy, um, but I didn't fancy something that involved all that study and extra exams. So computing was really recruiting quite a lot. This would have been like mid eighties and there was a lot of computing recruitment at that time. So that's what I went into and I did that for six years. And then uh, after the, the six years were up, uh, at some point in time, you ended up uh, in Kenya. Uh, and how, how did that come about and what, what were you actually doing in Kenya? I, as I said, been interested in university and the possibility of mission. I then started working and other things come into your mind and other priorities, I guess, and life flows on. So I was thinking about what that might mean long term. And I suppose what prompted actually making that shift was a sense that God spoke to me to say that was something I needed to explore. And then as I followed that along the way, it, it kind of turned out that I ended up in Kenya teaching in a theological college. It wasn't necessarily where it started off, but over the course of a couple of years, that's what it evolved into. And how long were you actually in Kenya in total from when you left and when you arrived home again? I think uh, about six years I was there, yes. And what about any, when you were out there, uh, and again, this could be this could be the subject of a whole uh, other conversation, but um, what what sort of challenges or encouragements to your faith did you, did you find uh, on the mission field? Give us like just an example of one. Okay. When you're living in another culture, it makes you ask whether there are things that you do that are part of your faith or part of your culture. Because things that I might have assumed wouldn't necessarily be things Kenyan Christians would have assumed. Um, so, for example, one of the things I find really strange, which is quite a trivial thing, is that they were all happy to go shopping on Christmas Day. <laughs> and, and I find some of those things quite strange. And because a lot of the shops where I was in Kenya would have been owned by people who wouldn't have been of the Christian faith. You know, you were working in a kind of multi multicultural society in a way that Northern Ireland um, and even maybe London to an extent wasn't in quite the same way mid-80s as it might be now. So I think there were just things like that that made you think, am I saying things this way because it's part of my faith or is it just that my culture has predisposed me to think this way? Sure, sure. Um, I, I, it would be so good to have time to, to go into that further, but maybe we'll do that in the midweek sometime. Um, but uh, I'm going to I'm going to cut right into uh, bringing us back up to the present. In in one sense, you you, you would have come back uh, after a number of years. I take it you returned and, and came back to Saintfield rather than London. Is that right, Karen? That's right. Yes, I came back to Saintfield. And you started in Belfast Bible College around the year 2000. I think you were telling me. Um, that's right. And and did you did you do a like was it you, that that's when you did your PhD? I worked at the college for about five years before I started the PhD. Um, 
and that then I, I studied remotely with Aberdeen. I traveled over every couple of months and worked on um, New Testament letters, Paul's letters, and how they related to Greco-Roman letters of this roughly similar period. So I got to read lots of other material, non-New Testament material as well as part of that. Okay, well, just as, as we draw this part to a conclusion, because I know you've got a, a sermon to preach, um, let me ask you just a, a couple of more things then. In, in your sort of studies of New Testament and Paul's letters, does that, does that give you an insight, a, a different insight than, than you would have had when you, when you read Paul's letters today? I mean, in your everyday quiet time, does it, does it, does it affect that, do you think? Does it, does it change your perspective as you read them? Has it helped you? Well, I hope it has helped me. <laughs> um, the thing I was looking at in particular is the fact that in quite a lot of Paul's letters, they're actually from a group, not just him. So, for example, if we look at First Thessalonians, it's Paul, Silas and Timothy. And if you go through the letter, an awful lot of it is talking about we, not I. So my conclusion side of that, and I think it is interesting for thinking about how we work and how we do things, is there was a lot of group culture and sharing of ministry and leadership that I think we've often missed in a society that's become quite individualistic. I mean, I think things are shifting. Uh, in the world at the moment, but I think there's a dynamic around group involvement in ministry and group involvement in leadership um, that is healthy and that is positive and that opens scope for learning in a way that has been missed at various points, I think, in church history. Um. Okay, Karen, th thank you so much for that. For that's very interesting insight. Um, I'm going to let you go and uh, uh, get ready because Karen's going to be preaching uh, for us in a moment. Uh, before you do, I'm just going to uh, pray and, uh, and I'm going to ask uh, that God would open our eyes uh, as you seek to bring his word to us. So let's, let's just pray now. Father, thank you for your living word. Thank you that we can come to it expectantly uh, because you speak to us through it. And I pray that you'll anoint Karen as she speaks to us and help us to hear from you afresh today that we can apply to our life today and tomorrow. So empower her by your spirit, we pray, as she brings your word to us now. Amen. Thank you, Ali. Well, this morning we're focusing on Daniel chapters 10 and 11. And just to give you a kind of sense of where we're going with that, uh, first of all, I would like to think a little bit about the context of these chapters. And uh, then I'm going to try and give a brief overview and some reflections of key ideas that come out of that. So first off, then thinking about context around Daniel chapters 10 and 11. And before we we do that. I just want to pause and think a little bit about our own context. 
when I turned on the radio this morning, one of the phrases that I heard was how much the world has changed. And the presenter went on to remark that they'd said exactly the same thing a week ago. And they felt that in the last week, yet again, there had been a major shift in how the world was working. And that is something we've all experienced over the last two weeks with major shifts in how life is being lived at a very practical level. One example of that, and by no means um, a key significant one in terms of what's happening worldwide, is the fact that rather than being in St Coleman's and seeing all of you, I'm sitting here in my study and I'm speaking to a computer, which I think is a poor exchange, but that's where we are at the moment. So as we all know, the world has changed incredibly in the last few weeks. Um, schools are closed, many workplaces are closed, people are working remotely. Some are in isolation. There's a level of lockdown. Some are seriously ill. And for those who have medical roles, they're facing incredible challenges in caring for those who are ill and preparing to care for what may come down the line. There's deep uncertainty as we face these continual rapid changes in our culture, in our world. And in some places there's fear of what will come. There's an uncertainty that has been generated. We live in a world that has changed significantly and could change again. What is now being referred to as the new normal, for want of a better phrase, could soon be the old normal. And we're all coping with a huge volume of change in information that's coming at us. In the midst of all those changes that we are facing in this particular time and context, as I've looked at these chapters in Daniel, I've had an increased awareness and appreciation of the amount of change that Daniel faced in his own lifetime. Possibly not um, confined in two weeks, as I've been talking about in our context at the moment, but a huge amount of change that Daniel faced. If we think of um, his early years and upbringing, in Jerusalem, probably in an elite family and whatever thoughts and plans he might have had as a teenager were totally changed by the Babylonian Empire overrunning his home and taking him off with others into exile. So Daniel faced um, the conquest of his country. He was taken hundreds of miles away to a new place and culture. While there, he learned that his home, Jerusalem, had been destroyed. Its walls had been flattened and the temple had been destroyed. Profound changes for Daniel. Much of what he might have expected in life, totally transformed. And for him and his colleagues, 
in Babylon who had all been taken there by the Babylonians. That was not simply adjustment to practical changes, difficult enough as that would have been, but actually that was raising profound theological questions for him. Profound questions about how to understand the world and how it worked. And part of the reason for that would have been in his culture, in the culture that he was living in at that time, the default view was that the most powerful people had the most powerful gods. And the reason for their success was that their gods were more powerful than others. So at face value, the fact that the Babylonian Empire had conquered Jerusalem and taken Jews into exile was proof that the gods of Babylon were more powerful than the God of Israel. Um, the gods of Babylon were more powerful than Yahweh. And for Daniel and his colleagues, there were profound theological questions that had to be rethought um, and worked through in the light of that changing context. And one of the things that we can see in the way that he reacts to his context is that certainty of God's uh, greatness and power is not, um, I was going to say challenged, maybe challenged isn't quite the right word because we don't know that, but it doesn't seem to alter and fade for Daniel. It stays there as something really strong that runs through his life. So Daniel had lots of change in his life. The ones I've talked about, um, the conquest of his home by Babylon and his own exile wasn't the only one. Later in life, he also faced the uh, change of a superpower of who was in charge as the Babylonian Empire was wiped out and the Medo-Persian Empire under Cyrus came and took control. So for Daniel, he faced a lot of change in life. Uh, he dealt with conquest, he dealt with exile, living in an alien culture, seeing an empire fall and another one come. He, he encountered massive change. And where we pick up the story of Daniel uh, in chapter 10, um, the second empire, the Persian empire is now in control. And Daniel has been in exile for around about 60 years. By this stage in the story, some Jews have returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. Um, but Daniel is not one of them. He's still in Babylon. By this stage, he would probably have been well into his 70s. And in the ancient world, that was very old. The average age in, in the Roman Empire, I, I don't know about the Babylonian Empire, but in the Roman Empire, the average age was about 40. So for someone to survive into their 70s, they would have been significantly older than the majority of the population. And thinking off the book of Daniel, we saw the first half of Daniel, which we worked through earlier in the year. We saw stories of events at court, Things like uh, the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, uh, Daniel in the lion's den. 
And in the second six chapters record visions and dreams that Daniel receives. And these are not necessarily all after the stories that are recorded in the early part of the book, but simply they've been separated in terms of how the book is constructed. There's actually a little bit of overlap in terms of how these would work out if you put them in strict chronological order. So moving on then to an overview of chapters 10 and 11. Um, the opening verse of chapter 10 talks about a word and a vision. So if I read that, um, chapter 10, verse 1, in the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel who was named Belshazzar. The word was true and it concerned a great conflict. He understood the word, having received understanding in the vision. So the opening verse uh, of these two chapters, and this is really a block of material that runs right through to chapter 12. Um, the opening verse speaks about a word and a vision. And if you're using the NIV version, it talks about a message and a vision. Same kind of idea. One of the things I would often do when I'm looking at a text is to look for words or ideas that are repeated frequently throughout the passage, because I think repeated words and ideas often give us a good insight into what has been emphasised and what's dominant uh, in that particular section of text, what uh, the writer and God through the writer is trying to emphasise and bring out. And as I look through chapters 10 and 11 of Daniel, the words that seem to me to come out quite frequently as we as I looked through the passage were, were these words, the word and the vision, those two words. And I think chapter 10 really focuses on the idea of the vision and chapter 11 focuses on the idea of the word and the two sit side by side. So, Chapter 10 is focusing in on what Daniel sees and chapter 11 is focusing on the explanation of that. So the heart of chapter 10 is Daniel's vision of a man. And we see that in verse five. Uh, Daniel writes, I looked up and I saw a man clothed in linen with a belt of gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the roar of a multitude. So Daniel has a vision of a man. At the time Daniel is on the riverbank with his friends, they know something supernatural is happening and they are frightened and run away, but they don't actually see the man. Daniel alone sees him and this encounter has a profound effect on Daniel. The sight of the man makes his strength drain away and hearing the man's voice puts him in a trance. It seems in the account to be something similar to what happens with Paul and his companions on the Damascus road. As with many aspects of the book of Daniel, people kind of differ a bit on how they interpret these verses and who they think the man is. But for me, the language used here is so similar 
to the kind of language that's used to describe God elsewhere in scripture, like Ezekiel chapter 1, and the kind of language that is used to describe Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. That I think that the vision that dominates chapter 10 is an encounter with God. And that encounter, or we could call it vision, a vision, is what brings the understanding. And I'll come back to that idea at the end when we reflect. Then chapter 10 really is a focus on the word or the words that are given to Daniel to explain what is happening. And chapter 11 basically is a focus on a long account of history. In the earlier accounts that we had in chapter 7 and 8, um, Daniel really saw pictures that were then explained. But here it's really an account in words that describes a succession of empires. So, for example, uh, in verse 2, it talks about the Persian Empire, the empire that had just begun, really. It was three years old um, around this time. And chapter 11, verse 2, talks about its end. Uh, verse 3 talks about the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great and then that being split amongst his successors. And the bulk of the chapter focuses in on two characters, the king of the south and the king of the north. And this describes a period in history, really, in the second century BC, when the two different dynasties that were um, the successors of Alexander's generals fought for power. And those terms, the king of the north and the king of the south, describe Egypt and what we might think of as Antioch and modern day Turkey, Syria, um, at that is the king of the north. Those two terms describe those two um, rival empires from the point of view of Israel. And they basically are at war for uh, much of a couple of centuries and during that time they march through Israel endlessly. It's reckoned there were about 200 military campaigns that would have gone through the territory of Israel in those two to three hundred years. And if you work through the chapter it basically describes the warfare between those two kingdoms. And if we pause there. I know that's very brief on it, but if I pause there and just think how that might have impacted Daniel. Daniel has already lived through seeing his home destroyed, being put into exile. And now here he hears from God that all of this is going to happen yet again. And there's going to be a lot of war in Jerusalem. Um, and also that the temple will be destroyed and the sacrifices will be stopped. So things that he has already encountered in his life, he receives a vision that explains these things are going to happen again. And I think for Daniel, that would be a hard thing to hear. 
because if we look back to his prayer in the previous chapter in chapter nine, he was praying for the restoration of Jerusalem, not simply from the point of view of his people, but also from the point of view of having God's name and glory established and recognised um, as his people were restored to their land. So the vision is, in one sense, really quite a hard thing for Daniel. I think to grasp with, to, to grapple with, with the amount of change that he's already had to endure. So thinking then about reflections that would come out of this. Uh, and I'm sorry, I know that's a very brief overview, but reflections. One of the things that I think comes out of these chapters and indeed has come out of the whole of Daniel is the message that God is in control. Empires and superpowers come and go. They can look incredibly permanent when you're in the middle of them. And for many people, they would only see one particular empire or superpower. But actually, they are temporary and limited. Babylon itself lasted around 80 years. The only kingdom that is permanent or eternal and unlimited is God's. In chapter 2 of Daniel, there is the dream where God's kingdom is seen as a rock that grows and fills the earth. And that is the truth. So how things look in terms of where power can be seen to be and where it really is are often not the same. How things look and true reality are often very different. And as we then think about how Daniel sought to live in his context where appearance and reality we're not actually the same and how we try to do that. I think that is where the the vision of God that Daniel has, that encounter with God that he has in chapter 10 is so key. Um, that has a profound impact on Daniel. But that vision of God in his greatness and glory helps to bring, I think, insight the understanding that comes, but also a sense of proportion. It gives um, a bigger picture view of what is going on and what is significant. And so it enables Daniel to cope with the difficulties that he encounters and hears about. It enables him to stay faithful when that involves risk and hardship in the context he was in in Babylon. And I think those things still hold true for us today. The message that God is in control is a very powerful one with the uncertainties that we face now and brings a level of security and certainty. And an encounter with God or a vision of God is what enables us to hold on to that in the mess of everyday life where things can look very different. So as we reflect on that, uh, let's pray together as we finish. Father, we thank you for 
your word in the book of Daniel. It was written so long ago and yet has things to say into our context today. Different in so many ways, but yet similar in others and sharing in the same truths. I pray that as we reflect on these things, you will help us to uh, move the reality of the, those truths from our head into our hearts and allow them to govern the way in which we behave throughout this incoming week. And may they help and equip us for the challenges that we face and bring us a sense of perspective as we move into this week with all that it may bring for all of us here, very different for many of us who will face real challenges and dangers in what comes. But we ask for your uh, enabling and equipping for that and that you will um, confirm in us that truth that you're in charge and help us to live our lives in the light of that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Karen, thanks very much uh, for sharing those thoughts. Uh, much to chew on for us, I'm sure. Um, we've, we've said before, we're keen as we go forward to keep these um, things, these services as interactive as possible. So I'm going to ask you a question, if you don't mind, um, uh, on the basis of what you've been just talking about. Um, I guess uh, let me preface it by asking you, how has the, how's the last fortnight uh, been for you in comparison to normal fortnights? It's been a very unusual fortnight. It has been extremely busy um, and that has mainly been work generated for me because we've had to look at moving college online and off site and all kinds of issues around staffing and how we do that. So it has just been very full on and very stressful to make really significant decisions very quickly without much thinking time. So it's been tough, I would say. Okay, uh, uh, that somehow doesn't come as a huge surprise to me. So um, you've been talking about in Daniel 11, uh, Daniel 10 and 11, the whole idea that God is in control. Uh, but also you referred to Daniel's personal encounter with God. Um, so let me ask you, in light of what you've been talking about, what advice would you give to yourself going forward next week? <laughs> well, that's always a hard one to really get things into lifestyle, I think. Um, I think for me, some of that is creating space at times to reflect and to connect with God rather than running around in busyness. And also it is using time wisely when there is, I think sometimes there is more time than I think, but it's what I choose to put in it. Um, so I find a lot of news. I mean, I'm listening to more news than I normally would, like most people, but I find a lot of that can breed an anxiety. So limiting that, I think, is quite helpful. Um, you can't stay out of it totally because you need to know where things are, but I think not, um, not being on it all the time. 
I find useful and also not, um, I suppose, having that focus on God and being connected to him when I can, um, rather than seeking to distract myself from the current difficulties by doing other things that might not be so helpful. Great. Okay. Thank you, uh, Karen. I suppose coming back to uh, what uh, Malcolm, I think, was saying last week, the whole idea of you know, less time uh, on this uh, and, and more time uh, looking upwards. So uh, thanks for that, Karen. Thank you for what you've shared with us today. Um, I'm going to bring matters to a, a close right now. Uh, we're going to close in prayer, but just just a reminder to say to you, you know, um, lots of people are meeting regularly by Zoom. Uh, the leadership team are meeting regularly. We're seeking to listen to what God is saying to us in this situation. We're seeking to connect to people, uh, both uh, in home group situations and in, in pastoral care, but we're also seeking to reach out to the community. This whole idea of looking up first and foremost, but looking in and looking out. So please do stay connected with God and with each other. Uh, we had a great example of that last night uh, in the youth. Uh, they had Instagram Live. It was brilliant. I, I was part of it in the sense I was watching it. Uh, probably 25 to 30 young people connecting, um, playing games and reflecting and praying together. Uh, they certainly could teach us a lesson on how to connect. So don't forget to connect to each other. Um, and don't forget, please, the two forms to complete uh, the 24-7 prayer form that Paul has referred to, and it's in the email. Uh, please do take that up. And it starts this evening at 7 p.m. So please click on and start booking in the sessions. We want to fill this week with prayer. But also this uh, response form, the Grace Fellowship response to this, this situation that we're in. Click on the email and you'll see a way of either... Um, asking for help confidentially or, um, or, or, or ways in which you can uh, be uh, of help to others. And it'd be great to have uh, volunteers. We're trying to build that up and you'll see much more of that in due course because we want to be light uh, in this current climate. Let's just finish by, by praying. Thank you, Father, that you are indeed a God who is in control, that even though we don't know what tomorrow might bring, you do. Thank you, Father, that you're a God who cares for us. And Father, we ask you to have mercy on us. We pray for those in our fellowship who are connected on the front line uh, of the health service. And we, connect, uh, we also ask you to uh, bless and protect those who are out working for uh, uh, means of necessity. And help us, Lord, above all, be faithful servants to you. And accept our thanks and praise for the fact that you are our Father and that you are in control. Father, we ask for encounters with you today uh, and keep us connected to you and to each other and help us to be the light of the world. Amen. That's it for today, folks. Uh, thanks so much for joining and thanks for all comments that have been uh, sent and uh, they're really good uh, to see uh, and it's so encouraging for us all, isn't it, uh, when, we're, when we're connecting together. God bless and uh, if I don't see you before, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.